morning, I'd like to ask you to look with me at, again, Luke chapter 1. Last week, we talked about Mary's song of praise. And there's another song of praise in this chapter. It's Zachariah's song of praise. And our plan is to look at that together. But in order to get there, we'll look at the narrative or the story that leads up to that moment as the passage progresses. So it's, it's Christmas time and uh, all kinds of things going on. Some of that is events, right? I mean, you're, you're going to have different events you're going to, maybe people come that are coming to your place, maybe you're putting on the big party. Um, and, you know, my, <laughs> my theory goes with arrival at, at big parties, big events at someone's house, uh, nobody's, I mean, you know, you don't want to be like super late, but nobody's that upset if, if you're maybe 5, 10, 15, because um, your house may run differently, but, you know, usually that lasts like 15 minutes or something. We're, we're trying to get everything put together. Um, so 5, 10, 15 minutes late, no problem. Um, 30 minutes early, problem. I mean, it might be nice to be early to some things, but showing up way early to a big event at somebody's house, you know, well, anyway, maybe you, you might get a, an opportunity to help a little bit with the last-minute cooking and cleanup. I don't know. Um, because there's this sort of sense, ah, right, are we prepared? Maybe you've had that happen. Uh, oh, I just had, you know, kind of got here 30 minutes before and thought, hey, I'll come on in. And it's like, okay, I'm not quite there. I'm not prepared. Help. And the sense of getting caught out when you're not prepared yet. Um, that might be okay at the end of it if it's just if it's an event at your house. Less so. If we're talking about an event like what we're going to read about this morning, and the sense that the world itself has tra- has changed, the promises and all of the expectations, like all of the lines have come together to this point. Here it is, this climactic inflection moment. This is the time, the big time, like, like literally the center of history, all the lines converging at this moment. And the question that gets raised in Luke chapter 1, <laughs> were the people who were privileged in so many ways to live at this climactic moment in human history. Were they ready (laughs) or were they not? I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. I am going to have to read this morning, kind of at, at times, read quickly over things because there's just a lot of text. But we get this introduction in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, that there was a priest named Zechariah of the divisions of Abijah, And his wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, they were both righteous, verse 6, Luke 1, 6. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And I'll pause there just to say, if if our, our, our entryway here was the question, are they prepared? You read down that list, and they, they basically sound like the perfect scenario. I mean, they've got it altogether. In fact, some of the details in here are pretty interesting. Um, he's, a, he's a priest. He's, he's in the <laughs> religious leadership class, and so is his wife. Not that she's part of that leadership class, but she's in the same, descend, des, in, in the same line of descendants, which 
it's it's like it's like the the perfect textbook i mean exact layout that you would go for here it is right on and you get just a bit later in verse 8 he's serving as priest before god when his division was on duty i wondered about this in the past but um, the way this worked was that there were a series or there were 24 different groups of priests they rotated there were like 18,000 priests so it's not like it's not like Zechariah is one of the the main priests. He's just he's he's part of like a population segment, eighteen thousand of them, and they just rotate through. And because you have so many, then it's it's kind of a question like who's going to have the privilege of doing it this time, two weeks in a year, and within those weeks, each group within the group would get like a day, so probably two days in the year when your group is even doing it. Okay, in other words, it, it's almost like I don't know. Um, getting called up for this, you know, random occasional responsibility, but you have your main life going on. And there's more though. He was, verse 9, chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So across the group of 18,000, then there would be like just, you know, what else are you going to do? There's so many. So there's just a random choice. You're probably, you are only going to get chosen once. And this is at, really then, for Zechariah, the, the center of his career. This is a highlight of his life. Like this, is, this is one of the things that people hope they get to do. And it's at this climactic moment, then, that he's in the temple. He's offering the incense the, the way that the passages set it up is actually, it gives tension in here, I mean, kind of expectation. Verse 10, there's a whole crowd outside. And part of what was going on is as the ceremony was going, people would be standing outside and they would be praying. God would bless them through this sacrifice. And there's the waiting, and then the priests would come out and they would give a blessing to the crowd. And this is just the, the, even the daily routine. All of the people were there. And it's in this moment, I mean, but the, Zachariah, who has the exact lineage, who is himself a priest, his wife is even from the same lineage, he's at this kind of climactic moment of his ministry in the temple, inside the holy place. It's at that moment that God steps in and just interrupts, interrupts the whole flow of everything, interrupts all the expectations. He steps in and shatters what were your plans? There's something dramatic about with the way this is stated in verse 11. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So you kind of imagine the layout. I mean, I, I, I spent some time trying to think of like a modern equivalent. I wasn't doing very well. Um, let's just imagine like the really, the, the, you're going into the bank vault, high, high, high security. Nobody goes in here, all, tons of cameras and checks and you get your irises scanned and you can tell that most of my uh, assumptions about this bank vault have nothing to do with actual bank vaults it's mostly based on movies so i mean you know you're coming into this high security area and you got to do everything just right and there's a protocol and a checklist and, and you're going through all of the critical steps don't miss a thing right because a lot rides on this and, and for Zachariah, he, it's, it's, it's not like, it's not like, yeah, another Tuesday, another, this is like his lifetime moment. 
It's like, this is the thing you study for and anticipate, and you might get to do it and you might not. And you're in like this most secure of places, deep inside. Okay, the layout of this would be right, right here is the veil that goes into the Holy of Holies. If you imagine this like the altar of incense. And so Zachariah's standing here. I mean, he's facing towards the most sacred place and he's offering these, this incense. So you're, you're in that moment and you're trying to do everything just right. Don't mess it up. And the crowd's waiting. And while, while you're in the, in the motions of this, deep inside this most secure place, boom, there's this guy. No, not just a guy, an angel. And I, I think it's actually really, really visual the way it's expressed. Standing on the right side of the altar, <laughs> like right here. <laughs> You're offering. Okay. And how, really, like if you go back to my kind of the, the, imagina- the, the, the imaginary and uh, dramatized bank vault picture, you know, th- what's your feeling of that? How did you get in here? Like, where did you even come from? There's not like a back door or something. There's not some other way in. Like, a guy just appears. Obviously, Zechariah is immediately shocked. Verse 12, he was troubled <laughs> when he saw him, and he fear fell on him. And here comes this entire interchange. Do not, be pre- do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. I want to pause there because I didn't set up for this earlier in the flow of the passage. Remember I said they were, they were kind of like your perfect, whatever, couple. Like everything's like all in order. But there was this one little problem. They had no child. And they're to the point, verse 7, where like in terms of years... It's not happening. And the angel's comment is, your prayer has been heard. There's a little bit of discussion about what that prayer is. And the two options are, is, is, it, is it his prayer for a child? Is it his prayer for the general salvation of Israel? The answer probably is yes. But I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pause for a second and park on this because we'll come kind of swing around to it later. And that is... I mean, you, you, you get this little illusion, this con- your prayer has been heard, this kind of little hint window comment to an entire, like, like backstory for Zechariah. And the sense that, I mean, he, he's, he's serving as a priest of God. He's, 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 he's in the, the perfect scenario, more or less. But there's this big gap, this thing, this longing, this disappointment. And at this point in his life, right? I mean, if, if you were praying that God would bless you with a child, and now you've reached this point, and it's kind of like, yeah, that was a prayer, and God chose not to answer it, and so I'm going to come to terms with that, which would be the right thing, right? I mean, it would absolutely be the right thing. Okay, I'm going to come to terms with that. God chose not to answer it. And, and it's almost as though God reaches back into the, the, the old box way back in the back of the storage area somewhere. And he pulls out this dusty prayer that hasn't been brought up for a while. And here it is. You moved on for that one, and I have it. Lady, this is not, you know, this is not, this is not normative. This is not what, what, uh, what every person is going to expect. Because we're clearly talking about an extraordinary circumstance here. God stepping into history and doing something completely odd and shocking. And not even Zachariah is expecting this. 
it makes me laugh when you get a little bit further down into the story because there's the whole announcement. Your wife's going to have a child. Zechariah answers, verse 18, how shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. The, the, almost the impression you get is <laughs> Zachariah is looking back at the child, uh, looking back at the angel. Okay, you know, maybe you didn't look here and see a lot of white hair. Or maybe being an angel, you just kind of like didn't understand the way that it works for us. But the way it works down here, we're not having a child. Like, you may, maybe you missed something. That's not happening. And there's this, there's this tension in the story of Zachariah's unwillingness, surprise, shock, or something. Not appreciating, not grasping, not believing the word that God has just given him. That takes me to verse 17 and the, the expression that I started off with. I mean, the quish, big question here is, is this people ready? Verse 17, the phrase comes that this child, this one who will be born, he will come to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And, and they're not prepared because you have language like verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. I mean, turning in the sense of repenting. He will turn, and again, repenting. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, which is to say lots of people who, who are living against and in opposition to righteous wisdom. John's going to come and call them to align themselves or to return back to what they ought to recognize. You get a little bit later, and, and I mean, just a bit later in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and John is preaching a baptism of repentance, and he's calling out the different groups around him to, to the religious leaders, to the soldiers, to the other people. He's calling out each one of them, why are you doing this? Why are you doing, I mean, hard-hitting stuff. Zach, uh, John the Baptist is going, to be a, is going to be a person who calls the people to be prepared because they aren't. But one of the ironies is that the first person to receive the announcement is his own father, who was, in so many ways we read, a good, righteous, faithful person. The father also is not prepared. Father all, his father also is caught out in a state of not believing. When you get to the end of the scene, then... <laughs> Every, everyone's confused. I mean, Zachariah is shocked. He, he's, he's, his, his immediate response to the announcement is doubt. The angel's response to that in turn, you will be silent, verse 20. You'll be unable to speak because you did not believe. Um, I don't know if you've ever, maybe in parenting or something, or, uh, yeah, I mean, it just you know, road trips. That would be perfect. You know, you're, you're on a road trip, and, the, and ah, 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 right, the kids are struggling, and it's, ah, ah, you know, and at some point, <laughs> here's the really, um, the really godly and discipling way that you solve that problem, okay? Everybody just be quiet. All right, kind of, you have to, like, reach that. All right, everybody just be quiet. Next 20 minutes, no talking. 
Um, you're not using, and I mean, there's times when this is legitimate to use. You're not using your words well, so we're going to not let you use your words. And it's almost as though the angel has dealt with Zechariah that way. That way. You've, you've, you've not, I, I, I spoke clear words to you. Like God has spoken. I spoke clear words to you. You're not listening. And so we're just going to kind of put up on you. Until you exercise the faith to recognize what God is doing. It would be, I would love to spend time looking at this really, really interesting to do some comparisons. You've got a number of other places. Um, Gideon comes to my mind a little bit later, and this is really parallel. Samson's parents, if you read down that one and you read down this story, really, really close parallels in that. Um, You've got people in the past who would ask things like this, or who would express doubt, or who would say, give me a sign in order to confirm after God's words. I mean, you've got places like this, and one of the questions I did have when I came to the passage, kind of seems like um, with others, God worked with them a bit. You know, with Gideon, it's like, okay, well, okay. I mean, okay, the fleece. And then he doesn't, the fleece again. God works with them. In Zachariah's case, nope, doubt, boom. And I think part of that is Zechariah has the additional benefit that he's got those events. He's got those stories. I mean, at, at this point in the story, you've moved all the way up through the entire history of the nation. And this has happened like a number of times where God spoke a word and people doubted the word and God worked with them and they doubted and God worked with them. And finally, oh, what do you know? What he said came true. And it's kind of the sense, okay, at this point in Zechariah, at this point in history, Zechariah, we've done this enough times. You've got enough precedent. You probably should just go with it. Believe God's words. I think there are probably two other elements to it as well, though. And one of them is, in this case, there's just not like a lot of time to dither around. This baby's on the way. The schedule is set. The Messiah is coming. Nine months from now, John the Baptist needs to be born. There's not a lot of dithering here. Just got to get her done. Go forward. The plan is on schedule. We're moving. And finally, finally, a really interesting element of it is, what, what if part of what God's doing here is even setting up for what follows? Because the end of this scene, confusion all the way across. Zechariah was shocked. The whole time as he's inside verse 21, the people are waiting. It's an interesting background comment that when the priests went in to do their prayers, and this is from a little bit later, but around basically the same era, someone comments, and so it was important that the priest pray a short prayer <laughs> because the people are all outside waiting And the question really, I mean, the seriousness of going into the temple, people would be afraid that something had happened to the priest, as in, you've read some of these stories, you touch the ark and the person falls down dead. The people outside waiting would worry if he delayed. You go in, you pray, you come out. There were actually multiple things going on at this point with multiple priests, four different priests in there and all of these processes and each of the processes depended on other processes. There's this whole chain of things going on. And so it's like, here's, and this is a daily routine. They're doing this every day. And it's like, mm. you know, nothing's happening. He's in there, nothing's happening. We don't know what's going on. And it's going on and on. Like what happened to the guy? 
what's going on in there? And when he comes out, they don't exactly get an immediate answer. Verse 22, he's unable to speak. He's making signs to them. He's trying to communicate. I do think the way it's set up even, the people are going to need to wait. God has stepped into the story. God has intervened. And all kinds of, I mean, the the various characters in the drama are looking at this, whoa, what's, huh? Something big, something big is up. We're going to have to wait to see what God's doing. And here I'm going to skip over. I'm going to jump across because last week we worked on or we talked together about the vision to, to Mary, verse 26 and following. Mary's response contrasts in so many ways with Zacharias that her response is immediate faith. I mean, she heard it, she believed, let it be done. Let it happen as it was. Zechariah, not so much. And to see how this flows out, then we're going to move all the way down to verse 57. The nine months have gone by. Elizabeth, is it's her time to give birth. And some of the language right here exactly follows the prophecy that was made. The angel said, she will bear a son. Verse 57, she gave birth, she bore a son. You can compare the two exactly as the angel said, so it happened. The angel prophesied earlier that this child would bring much joy to many and that he would be a source of mercy. Verse 58, when the relatives heard that the Lord had shown mercy, they rejoiced. The prophecy of the angel is happening. And there's this little dramatic moment here, the issue of the name. They come to him, will he be named Zechariah after his father, which apparently would be more the expectation. His mother answered, no, he will be called John. Apparently, Zechariah and and Elizabeth have found some way to communicate. Pause here for a second, because there were things I wondered about this um, in the past. But when it says... When it says that Zechariah was mute, it's possible, we don't know for sure, but it's possible it was mute, deaf. The word means both, or can mean both. If that's the case, that explains a little bit of what's going on. They're having this entire conversation. What will we call him? And she's saying, John. And, well, that doesn't make sense. Why, you don't even have anybody in the family named John. And it's kind of, I mean, Zechariah very possibly is just shut out of the conversation. He doesn't even know what's going on. And, and they turn to John, or they turn to Zechariah to ask him what he will be called, verse 62. He, they made signs to his father. Again, I think that it, it makes sense if it's not just mute, but deaf can't even hear what's going on. And somehow they communicate to the father. He gets a writing tablet, and he writes his name is John. And, and there's some drama in that. The question earlier, what will the child be called? What are you going in the future? What are you going to call this child? What are you going to call this child? And, and Zachariah kind of dramatically does shift the verb. No, the child's name, it's not the, the child will be John. The child is John. Like, we're done. No further discussion. We're not, like, negotiating or something. Like, boom, John. It's over. Like, you know, I'm essentially, I signed the paperwork, mailed it in. It's done. Not changing it now. And this is his response is an expression of his faith so that God responds to this faith by opening his mouth again. If John has been, or if Zechariah has been under God stopping his speech, 
you know, kind of my metaphor earlier. All right, guys, guys, enough, enough. Nobody talk for the next 20 minutes. If, if, if Zechariah has been banned from speaking by his unbelief, as soon as God opens his mouth again, his immediate first response, before it was, now you have the opportunity, what are you going to say? And his immediate response is praise. Now he'll use his tongue better. Verse 64, his tongue was loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And what then at the end of the passage is recorded his song is probably that song of praise. It's also set up in a way that there's a little bit of an, a heading for it. You see in verse 66, all the others who were confused before. What on earth is, oh, what's going on here? Verse 66, what will this child be? And, and the song that follows, Zechariah's song, is both the answer or the, the content of Zechariah's praise. It's also the answer to this question. What will this child be? Here, I'll give you a song about it. I'll give you an entire psalm explaining or telling you about this coming of this child. Last week, I, I mentioned this in passing with Elizabeth and Mary. You have the comment with Elizabeth that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. One of even the questions that we asked last week, like, how, you know, how, how does Mary produce like, like a, a poem on the spot? I mean, you, you may have skills I don't have. I, I, I really can't, like at, at an immediate event, you know, something happens, surprise, boom. It's not, not a thing I really can do. Just, okay, and now I will produce a poem. Perfectly magical, and all the words line up. Here it goes. Beautiful literature on the spot. Can't do it. And, and Mary not only gives us a poem, she gives us something woven in with tons of Old Testament passages and allusions. And I mean, it's, it's intense. Okay, it's next level. And, and the, 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 even the discussion as people will talk about these passages, one of the, the discussions goes, well, clearly Mary couldn't have come up with this on the spot. So how do we even explain? You, you look within the passage, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Same right here, verse 67. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. The way to view these psalms, these hymns, these sections, Mary's song, Elizabeth's song, Zechariah's song, they spoke it. God used their words. He spoke through their mouths. But this is God's lens on the events. This is God stepping in and saying, here, I'll give you a commentary on everything that's going on. I'm, I'm going to insert in here how I view this and what's happening. That's the song that follows. I just want to, I mean, there's so much in verses 68 down to 79. I'm going to read it. I can't comment on the things that are happening in here. I just want to highlight a couple of ideas, cherry pick a few things. Zechariah's song in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. This language in verse 68 of visited is matched in verse 78, beginning in the end of the psalm, the visit and the visit. God has visited, God has visit, and verse 78 will visit again. The concept of visiting is both, it could be positive or negative. I mean, it's, it's kind of the idea that somebody has come if you want to do the negative, think like, you're going to be audited. <laughs> like, okay, now, now you're going to be checked, and do you have it together? It's that sense. 
Or the positive side of it. It's the idea that, and now he's come, and if you, if, if, if you have lived rightly, here's hope. All right, it's going to kind of depend on you. Let's think even the return of Christ. The return of Christ is either going to be positive or negative, depending on your preparation. God has visited, and he will visit. You can notice throughout the word salvation, he has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. You get it again in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins. This sense of, and verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies. This sense of salvation is, is both practical, political. The nation of Israel will be delivered from their oppressor. It's also spiritual. It's also a matter of forgiveness of sins. You have that language in verse 77, to be forgiven for their sins. And furthermore then, verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, to show the mercy, verse 72, promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. You've got the strong sense in this psalm or this hymn that everything that's happening here is a fulfillment of long promises pretty astonishing to just tabulate some of these. You can go right through. Moses prophesied Deuteronomy 18 about the Messiah. David prophesied Psalm 110, multiple other passages. Isaiah prophesied. Jeremiah and Zechariah prophesied. Ezekiel prophesied. Daniel, Micah, Malachi. I mean, the, the, the Old Testament is full of all of these promises and the expectation right within the passage. Zechariah chooses out two to highlight the promises to David, verse 69, the promises to Abraham, verse 73. I mean, it's the sense that this is not, these events that are happening are, are not sudden and unprecedented in the sense that you couldn't have known them. God's been talking about this for a long time, a really long time. And it's only now that finally the threads are all aligning. It's all coming together. It's just fulfilling what he always said. And I'll, I'll highlight just one of those prophecies. You've got the prophecy that this one, this child, verse 76, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. You could look at this later if you're interested. I mean, it's, it's shocking, it's amazing just to look down these passages. But what's happening here is drawn from Malachi 3, 1 to 3, and Malachi 4, 5. It's two passages that talk about a messenger that will come before the great messenger. The one who will come to prepare the way. Isaiah 40, 1 to 3, does the same thing. That, that one will come before, this language is amazing, before the Lord to prepare his way. And you've got three, probably more, Old Testament passages that are giving you this sense of there's one who comes just before the capital O, the one who comes. There's one who prepares the way. I mean, if you put some of these pieces together, you look at some of those passages, languages, <laughs> there's one who will prepare the way before the Lord. I mean, you look at, okay, prepare the way before Jesus. I see that. John the Baptist prepared the way before Jesus. No, look closely at the passages again. And, and, and 600 years before any of these events happened, the, the, the statement is that this messenger will come to prepare for Jehovah, for the Lord. You've got other hints right within the passage 
itself. I mean, if you're looking at, you can see right here in verse 76, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. I mean, who is that Lord? Well, that's the most high that was just mentioned in verse 76. You've got it a second later in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise from on high will visit us. Who is coming to visit us? Our God is visiting us. Our God is insert, inserting himself into the equation. And, and there's actually others within the passage that works like this. This, this one who's coming, the Messiah, is going to be born, you see that, born of the, servant, of the house of David, born of the house of Abraham. But God has visited his people. This one who's come, comes as God. And the last thing I'll note from this song is the, just the language that comes at the end. I love this, verse 78 and 79, the picture of the sunrise. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Multiple different ways of saying this picture. You've got people that are sitting in darkness. It has the picture of ethical I mean, like sin. Kind of the, you know, the notion of, uh, you kind of say, the, 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 the dark side of things, <laughs> that notion, a sin kind of notion. It's also just a confusion notion. It's just the idea that you, know, you wake up in the middle of the night, and you, you walk across the room, and boom, oh yeah, I do remember that I put that box right there last night, right? Now I feel it, that sense. Okay, in the dark, you don't see well. And it's like in the middle of that darkness now, <laughs> have you ever worked in a night shift or something? In the middle of that darkness, you just start to see the light. You start to see the sky color. <laughs> if you're working a night shift, you're really excited about that too. <laughs> it's going to get warmer. Start to see the light break. And it's getting brighter. And, right, and just, just the fact that that side of the sky has, starting to light, has started to lighten, it's this very strong, like we don't, we don't rewind that now. The light has started to break and it's just going to get brighter. Right? Light starts on the horizon. Give it time. Everybody can see. Just give it time. You know, it never, go, it never, it's like, never, it never like gets brighter. Right? It's inevitable now. The light has come. The day is around the corner. It's just right there. The sunrise has come. The light has risen. And you've got, again, Multiple expectations of that. Number 20, numbers 24-7, a star shall come out of Jacob. Isaiah 62, darkness will cover the earth, but the Lord will arise and all nations will come to your light. Isaiah 58, 8, then your light shall break forth like the dawn. The light has come. And now there's rejoicing. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The light has come, the sunrise has arrived, hope is here. We talked about a lot of information, a lot of details in the passage, so much richness here. I just want to pause and ask, I mean, how would we take this now at, at this point and, and apply it and live it? What do you do with the things we just saw? Some of the applications or some of the connections are, are pretty clear and pretty obvious. I mean, I, 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 I could just go back to what we said earlier. Zechariah has apparently prayed for a period of time 
for God's deliverance, and he's prayed for a child. And even the sense that, <laughs> it's like he had moved on from the prayer. I mean, it's, it's the feeling that, you know, he prays for something, he prays for something, God brings the answer, and it's like, oh, well, yeah, that can't happen. Eh, you actually prayed for it, so... You have things that you've prayed for and prayed for a lot, maybe prayed for years, decades, I don't know. I mean, do, you, do you have things that have just been kind of the, like the repeat track and you've prayed for? And, and you can hit a point where, you know, I've prayed and prayed for this. I'm not sure that he's listening. Or you just kind of move on, you know, life happens and busy happens and other stuff happens and other concerns. And you're just kind of like not thinking about that one anymore. I mean, as I say this, you know, I, I can think of prayer requests that, that are like that. Things that I really should still be praying on. And it's kind of like that, it sort of moved, sort of moved back burner because life happened. And it shouldn't have. <laughs> I'm not done with that one yet. I, I don't have any guarantee from the passage, and I'm not arguing from this passage, that for like certainty, whatever, you know, by sheer amount of prayer, you can merit God's answer or that God is absolutely going to answer that prayer the way you're expecting. Here, I can say absolute certainty. You've got this statement earlier, the angel's opening words to Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. I know that. Your prayer has been heard. It's not wasted. And, and an encouragement here then, e even where you might look at that prayer and feel like it's just getting ignored, there, there's a God who is at work. And things are on schedule. <laughs> Zechariah's prayer along the way for this, both presumably for the child and for the salvation of Israel. There was a time, there was a place, there was a moment, and God stepped in and said, from eternity past, I've actually planned out the birth of your child. I mean, plausibly, arguably, almost for certainty, even the arrangement that, that up to this point, uh, Zachariah and his wife had no child, is part of the plan of God, so that when the birth comes, it just stands out. So for, I mean, how many years and how many prayers did, did Zachariah pray this and carry this and struggle with this? And, it, and, and, and maybe at, his, at some moments doubt whether God really cared or noticed. And the answer is, for sure. There was always a plan. There was always something at work. God has things going on in his plans for you and for the prayers that you carry. And I mean, it's beyond my pay grade and yours. God, God's managing this. Take it back to him. Don't doubt. Don't lose hope. He is at work. I could raise a different question, though, and that is within this song right here and what we just worked out, you could see if, you, I mean, just reading down to it, it kind of has this sort of um, national flavor to it. God's going to deliver Israel sort of notion. Even that's a little different from Mary's song. Mary's song was a little bit more um, individual focused. God has blessed me. God has uh, given me a, a, a great blessing that generations will remember. Here is more national focus. More, okay, God will fulfill his promises to Abraham, to David. He will deliver his people. You read down some of that. I mean, I'm not Jewish. 
Um, you can read down that and kind of wonder how, in that sense, like God's delivering his people. How does that relate into me? On point of fact, I would just say that, that before we kind of push it to the side or move on from it, the Jewish people also have not yet experienced this full deliverance. They've experienced the beginning of it. But I mean, all of us are still waiting <laughs> in that sense. So Jewish or not, we're all waiting for it. But the, the real center of it is that the way of peace has come, that the hope has come, the sunrise has come. And some of that could be, and it is related in some way to the nation and God's deliverance of the nation, which he has already, he, he started with the coming of Christ. See, but there's so much more to it. This language of the forgiveness of sins, the, this, this, this whole language in verse 74, that the goal of it, that we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him in all, all our days. I mean, is there a political piece of this for the nation? Sure. And the center of it is that the Messiah has come bringing peace, hope. The Messiah has come setting things right in the world. So that the privilege that we might serve him, all of us serve him, without fear, in righteousness, before him, forever. <laughs> the coming of the Messiah is a coming of peace, the dawn coming, the day, the sun rising. And the result of it then is that verse, at the end of verse 79, our feet would be guided into the way of peace. I just ask that this morning then. Have you found your way into walking in this way of peace that the Messiah came to bring? Really interesting that, that Zacharias says in verse 79, to guide our feet in the way of peace. He's really not coming into this like um, those who sit in darkness, those who shouldn't sit in the shadow of death, like those guys, versus me, I got it together. I, you know, we read earlier, he's righteous, he's blameless in, in keeping God's commandments, he's a priest. But it's not like he sets himself out apart from that to guide our feet into the way of peace. We all need the guidance, desperately. We don't have it figured out. We need to be directed into it. And I, I think, actually, the point then to pull the entire passage together and connect the threads across it is that Zechariah himself had to grow into this. I, I think the, the takeaway I'd love for you to get this morning from our discussion of a very long passage it, is that where Mary, in some ways, is this example of immediate faith, like she hears the word and she just believes it and let it be, according to your word, and she goes. You've got in Mary this kind of, this kind of beautiful, innocent, okay, and, and in so many ways, right, the, the, the proclamation to Mary is the more dramatic. Sure. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's amazing that Elizabeth would have a child in her old age. I mean, Mary's going to have a child without a man involved. <laughs> this is next level. I mean, in, in so many ways, the proclamation to Mary, far beyond. She hears it. She responds with faith got a beautiful picture in the chapter, then you look at that and you go, humble faith, simple faith. In the case of Zechariah, you've got somebody who's had more years to live. He's had more opportunity. 
he's, I mean, he, he, he is a priest. He has walked righteously. It's not that the passage is a, a, a blasting away on Zechariah. He really has like had a lot of opportunity and, he, and he's done well. Like he's really, he's obeyed God. And it's even in that moment, though, a person who has in so many ways followed God. And then you discover, yeah, but, but pressed up against a new revelation, he doubts, he slips, he fails. <laughs> and, and I think one of the applications to us and one of the things that I'm looking at the passage and, and, and feeling like I've got to recognize. Y- you might have walked with God for a period of time. You might have had a certain precedent. You might have, okay, here I am. And, and God says to you, yeah, yeah, at this moment, you might also slip, doubt. You might turn away. The, the clear declaration of God to you, the shocking work of God, God stepping into our story and just, just distur- disturbing all the plans, making it look all, all different than you expected. Don't think that you've got it worked out. <laughs> Don't think that you've got this together. Sometimes mature believers slip. Sometimes you miss it. Sometimes we all miss it. And yet at the end, Zechariah did come to an understanding. There is a story of growth in faith. There's this opportunity that from turning, from doubt, he comes now to clarity. This morning, have you placed your faith in the Messiah who guides our feet into the way of peace? I mean, you might be a pretty good moral person. You might be the person who is blameless. And you might also be the person who, at that moment of God's clear declaration, doubts, questions. You might be the person who, at that moment, doesn't come to terms with the truth of the Messiah, and you would miss it. Are you a person prepared? Because the good news is, the story is also a story of redemption. It's a story of Zechariah failing to hear the word the first time and hearing it the second time. It's a story of a person who doubted at a critical moment, who wasn't prepared at that moment, though he had every reason to be. Who yet, at the end of the story, speaks these words of tremendous faith. Who at the end of the story has received light and his feet are guided into the way of peace. And the Messiah brings us then the hope of that peace. The Messiah brings us the promise that deliverance has come. Sins can be forgiven. The arrival of this horn of salvation transforms everything. The daylight has risen. The horizon is brightening. It's coming and it's only going to get brighter. Don't doubt. Don't shrink away in fear. Don't question right now. Look, look at the horizon. It doesn't go backwards. The light has come. The Messiah has arrived. And respond in faith this morning to hear the words of this Messiah, the hope that he brings to you and I, to make ready a people prepared to serve the Lord. And in that preparation, let's faithfully serve him in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is, through the work of this Messiah, a way of peace. We thank you that the messy story we see around us in the world we live in, yes, the messy story that we see in our own lives, our own failures, 
our own disappointments, the mess. That, that shining through the mess, shining through those disappointments, there's a light. There's a sunrise. The horizon is brightening. And there's a way of peace that this Messiah brings. And we do this morning. We want to respond in faith. We want this morning to hear your words, believe them, and do them. And we also confess that like Zechariah, there myriad times we're going to have questions. We're going to hear your words and our, 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 our face tightens. Yeah, except, but what about? And we bring those questions before you this morning. And we ask you again freshly this morning to guide our feet into the way of peace, to guide our hearts and our minds into the way of faith, to grant to us true belief that the Messiah has come and that he has transformed everything, to grant us faith that the brightening of the horizon is not just a dead end, but it's the beginning of day. We pray that you would help us to live and wait until the full coming of the brightness of that day. Can I give us a moment or two to take each one of us personally, take these things to God? What, what, what questions are just there where God has spoken a true word and the question just kind of sits there? The prayer has moved on or the hope of the past kind of moved on and, and we just, we moved past it in some ways, we've turned mute and silent on that point, stopped waiting for God. Can you bring that back to him again and respond this morning with faith? The faith and the confidence that the Messiah does guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's take a minute or two and bring that before God. Father, we thank you again this morning for your fresh patience, your mercy, the forgiveness of sins to Zachariah and his doubts to us and our doubts. And we respond this morning freshly with faith. You've spoken. We believe it. Help us, we pray, this coming week to walk in faithfulness and in service to you in the light of this faith and grant us grace to trust you and your control of our events in a way that honors you. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for your Messiah. We thank you for the peace that he brings, the light that he brings. We thank you that the horizon has brightened, is brightening. The sun is rising. The day is at hand, just around the corner. The brightness, the full brightness and the blazing light of the presence of our Savior will bring light and hope to every corner of this dark earth. 
And we pray in light of that, even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. May we see the fullness of your light and dwell in it for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.